Man, Claire and Grant have brought us the word. Like, we can go home at this point. <laughs> but the Lord still has words in store for us this morning. It's been so great to see all of our band. Give a round of applause for the band and our students that were up there. They did an amazing job. It was so fun to see our students up there. And Kayla is one of our uh, main volunteers that helps in the youth. All of our volunteers are um, involved in ways, too. We got Avery in the back doing tech. Our prayer team later is made up of all of our student volunteers. Um, so it's just been so cool to see them lead us this morning. It's been, I've already, like, been blessed and filled. I'm like, okay, Lord, here we go. Um, but... If you have been around me for any extended period of time, you may have heard me talk about this ridiculous gas station called Bucky's. And I don't know how many of you know about Bucky's, but here is a picture of what an average size Bucky's looks like. It has like 160 gas pumps. It has a massive long car wash. It's huge. The next image shows you what it looks on the inside, they are massive. And it started out as, as this small and paw, small, regular, normal gas station. But in Texas fashion, where it started, they said, we're gonna make things bigger and better. I'm born and raised in Texas, so I have some Texan in me. So I might be a little biased of why I love Bucky's. But you may have seen some Bucky's popping up. We now have two in Georgia, which is so exciting for me. There's one up in Calhoun and one in Warner Robins, and Bucky's had started planning all of these massive gas stations on major interstates that lead to the beach. Genius. I'm like, that is great marketing. Like, stop it. I mean, they have a home decor section. They have dressing rooms. They have swimsuits. Everything that you forgot that you needed for the beach, you can pick it up on your way to the beach. And if you ever stop at one on your way, just know that your six-hour drive to the beach will now be a nine-hour drive because you have spent three hours in there. You have blown your whole vacation budget because you come out. I describe it as like a casino. You go in, and you're like, we've only been in there for 30 minutes, right? And you come out, and you're like, three hours later. Oh, my goodness. But so I say I'm like not trying to do a sales pitch for Bucky's. I'm just really passionate about Bucky's. Zach told me last night, he's like, it's your favorite place on earth. And I was like, well, that's a little dramatic. Like, and I was like, oh no, you're probably right. Like some people love Disney World. I love Bucky's. It's just one of those things. But a few years ago, my mom and I were in Texas. I was home visiting in Texas and we were in this town and we were trying to find this new Bucky's that was in the town we were in. It was the new largest Bucky's, 65,000 square feet of glory. And we were like, we have to go to the, we have to go see it. Like this is when the Bucky's started becoming like huge. Like they were slowly growing, but we were like 65,000 square feet. Like we gotta go see this. So we take out our GPS as you do when you don't know where you're going this day and age. And I'm an avid Wazer. Some people may hate on me, but I swear by the Waze GPS app. It gets you there faster. It may take you down sketchy roads, but you will get there faster. And so we open the Waze app, we type in the Bucky's, and we get going driving to Bucky's. And so something you should know about Bucky's when you're driving is they start putting billboards 
100 miles out. Like, they're preparing you. They're like, get ready to stop. You can't miss their billboards. And so we were headed to the Spuckies, and this should have been a sign that we didn't really pick up on, but we didn't see any billboards. We didn't see any signs of a Bucky's, but we were just like, Waze is going to take us there. We're going to get there. So we get there, or so we thought, and we end up in an abandoned, empty parking lot, like completely run down, and we were like, what? Where are we? Like, Waze does not fail me. I swear by Waze. Like, this is why I use it. You, like, Google Maps, people are like, yeah, if you would have used Google Maps, you would have gotten to the Bucky's. But we end up in this empty parking lot, and we're like, how did we end up here? So I was like, there's no way that, like, we were like, is it open yet? Like, maybe it's not open. We're like, no, it's open. We know it is. And the Bucky signs are like, so tall. They're like golden arches, but instead it's a golden bucky. Like you can't miss it. And so we're like, we don't even see a bucky sign near us. Like, you know, sometimes the GPS will take you nearby, but not quite to the point. There's no buckies to be found. And so we're like, well, this is odd. And so the GPS had led us astray, taken us off path, this thing that I've trusted, I've used many of times in my life and has gotten me to the destination that I need to get to has failed me for the first time. I think the one and only time this has happened to me to use where I'm like, literally we are nowhere near the Spuckies. But we are in a series right now called The Letters to the Churches and we've been in um, the book of Revelation going through these different churches where Jesus came to John, one of his disciples, and revealed to him these messages that needed to be said to seven churches at this time. And five of these churches needed correction. And one of the church, that's one of the churches we're talking about today, which is Sardis. Um, Jesus gave them five things that they needed to correct, which we'll read here in a minute. But basically, Jesus was warning these churches to say, hey, you are getting off track. You are being led astray and headed to a dark, empty, abandoned, barren parking lot rather than the promised land of Bucky's where you need to get to, right? I mean, I just had to squeeze that in there, right? But the truth is, that is why Jesus came to John after the ascension to give him these things. He wanted these churches to know, hey, you are headed down a path that is leading to death and you need to get back on course and get back on track. Um, so we're, in, um, we're looking at the church in Sardis today. Um, so you can open your Bible to Revelation chapter 3. It's going to be um, verses 1 through 6. Um, and we have an image here of what the map of the seven churches looked like. Maybe here. Here we go. Um, so Sardis, you can see, is kind of here in the middle-ish, it looks like. Um, and Sardis was 1,500 feet above sea level. So I'm going to give you a little background, a little history to set up the scene before we get into Sardis of what this town was like. And so they sat 1,500 feet above sea level. They had a wall around their city to protect them. And they had military guards that would protect their city from invasions and things like that. Well, lo and behold, twice the military guards fell asleep and they got broken into. And their walls got torn down and they got broken into. 
Um, but at this time that the letter is written, Sardis is under Roman control, Roman government control, and they um, are in a safe place. They're known for their business and clothing. They have a clothing mercantile that they were known for. They pretty much had everything they needed within these walls. It was a bubble. Like, they didn't need to go anywhere. They had everything there. It was very affluent. Um, and their clothing mercantile was a way that they were able to make money and provide and live. And they, it was a happy place. They didn't have to go anywhere. Um, so it's in this state here that Jesus write, or gives them this message of the state that they're at and where their church is headed. So I'm going to read the first three verses of Revelation 3. It says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen up what remains and, is what, and what is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will know at what hour I will come against you. So that's some pretty deep stuff. They were known for the life and the way that they were alive. But Jesus is like, you are dead. Your church is spiritually dead at this moment. And Jesus gives them five things to say, you got to do these things, or otherwise you're going to be headed down into death. And so the first thing he tells them is to wake up. He's like, you need to wake up. You need to stop being complacent. You need to stop sleepwalking. And you need to come alert to these things. Because remember, they had already been broken into twice. And Jesus refers to that where he says, I will come like a thief. So they know all too well what that means. He's saying, your guards already fell asleep twice and you got broken into. You are sleepwalking. You're complacent. You are not awake. And if you've been around us at any point in time here at Grace Marietta, our mission statement talks about awakening kingdom dreams in a world that is fast asleep. We are all about waking each other up to the dreams that God has created you for, the purpose that God has called you for, because we know we are in a world that is sleepwalking. They're moving, they're going, they're not aware of what's going on around them. They're just doing their daily things and they're missing out on the kingdom dreams that God has placed and created them for and put them here on earth to do. And that is something we are so passionate about here at Grace Marietta, and you'll hear us talk about it all the time, because we want our community, we want you guys to wake up so that we are not spiritually dead, and we don't become a church like Sardis here that is spiritually dead. The next thing he tells them to do is strengthen what remains, to strengthen up. And there's some basic things here where praying together, worshiping together, coming here and helping each other wake up and be in the word together, keep each other accountable, disciple each other, build relationships with one another. I always think of it kind of like when you train for a marathon, right? You don't just like train for one day and then you're ready to go do the marathon, run the whole marathon, or an Ironman, something extreme like that. It takes years sometimes for people to train and complete a marathon, and they are daily putting in that grind where they're waking up, they're disciplined enough to do the workouts, to strengthen up their muscles, to train their muscles, 
So when that day comes, they can execute and complete what they have been working up for. It's the same in our spiritual lives. We can't just do it, you know, Sunday morning when we come here together. This is great, and we need this community and this body to be able to do it. But when we leave here, that doesn't mean next Sunday we come back, and this is the only time that we open our Bible or pray or, you know, talk to our other Christian friends or whatever it is. We got to daily be in his word, daily fall to our knees, and be praying and asking what he has called us to be doing so that we can strengthen up and be strong in those times when life gets hard. Because we know that life is hard. Like 2020 was a prime example of that to us. That even in 2021, there are just constant things that are going to hit us every day. And if we are not strengthened up and ready to run that race, then we're going to fall. And it's like, Anyone who does a marathon or an Ironman, if they did not train up and they were just like woke up one day and was like, I'm going to go do this marathon today. And they were someone who wasn't super active or super fit. I'm not sure they would make it across that line where they announce their name and say their name or get the medal, whatever it is. I've never done a marathon. So I'm not sure what it's like. Maybe I shouldn't be using that illustration because I've never done it. But I have... I did play golf in college, and I have been an athlete, so I do know what it's like to train and be active in that way. Um, So the next thing he says is remember. Remember then what you received and heard. And here he's saying, remember the gospel. This is John that Jesus gave this message to. This isn't like 21st century, 20th century. This is first century. John walked with Jesus saw him do the miracles, was discipled by Jesus himself, and they are already forgetting the miracles that they saw Jesus do and walk. They saw him on earth. John was with him. John was one of the inner three that saw him do and hear his message. And here he's like, remember what you saw. Remember what you received and heard. You have got to hang on to the gospel and what Jesus did. You cannot lose that because that is the heartbeat of what we believe and preach here at church is we are always bringing it back to Jesus. Whether we're in Old Testament or New Testament, we will always bring it back to Jesus and what Jesus did for us. And that's what Jesus is reminding them here. This is why they're going spiritually dead. He's like, you have forgotten what has happened. And then the next thing he tells them is to keep it. To keep it, store it away in your heart. In Proverbs, it says, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. And Jesus is saying, put that gospel truth when you received it and heard it and your life was changed. Keep that tucked away in your heart so that you will guard and protect your heart because everything that you say and do and act is going to flow from that place. If you're spiritually dead, that's going to reflect in the words that you're saying, in the actions that you're giving to your family, to your friends, to your kids, whoever it is, it reflects what is happening in the heart. So Jesus is saying, keep that, protect that. And lastly, most importantly, I feel like, is repent. Whenever we see angerness or bitterness or fruit that is not of God's spirit, we need to stop in that moment and be like, what is happening? Stop and pause and say, why do I have this angerness, this bitterness? I've been heard it described as a stop, drop, and roll, like if you're on fire type situation, where you stop and you're like, 
why did I just act out in anger? Why did I show bitterness to that person? Why am I angry? Whatever it is that you experience or feel, and you stop and you ask the Lord, and you drop to your knees and you repent. And you say, Lord, like this is not of your spirit. Again, with the keeping it in your heart, what is going on in my heart to realize there's something going on here that is not of you, and you repent, and then roll just, you know, roll back up with Jesus. I don't know. I don't got, I got, I got nothing for roll. But the stop and drop, I was like, that works, and then, you know, you just roll over, keep moving. I don't know. But when we bring these things, when we repent and we acknowledge out loud the sin, the bitterness, whatever it is in our heart, we acknowledge that out loud, Jesus destroys it and takes it away from us. But if we keep that held up inside of us, you know, we just keep pushing it down and down, that is when the enemy will try to take control of you. And he will try to use those things. And you gotta bring that stuff to the light. You gotta bring it to a friend, say it out loud, whatever it is, a mentor, whoever you have here at church, go back and pray with someone like, this is going on. Like, I gotta bring this out into the light. Otherwise, it will eat you alive. And we all know We have probably all experienced that at some point or another where we feel that anxiety, we feel that depression, those thoughts when you're trying to go to bed that you just can't shut up, that are just going and rolling and rolling. That's a sign of, Lord, I need to do my stop, drop, and roll, and I need to get down and bring this to the light. Um, But something I love about these letters, and I noticed this in the other letters that I've read and that I've heard, is how personal Jesus gets with these churches, how personal he gets. He knows, like I mentioned a minute ago, about how he comes like a thief in the night. They knew what that was like. They knew that it was because they had been broken into, and these were already signs that Jesus was maybe giving them that they weren't exactly picking up on because they were spiritually dead. So we're gonna keep moving along to verses four through six. And it says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, People who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed, thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, how personal Jesus is when he's talking about not soiling their garments, because remember, they were known for their mercantile business, their clothing business. They knew what that meant and what that was like. And here Jesus is using all of these analogies to tell them that there are a few of you that haven't soiled these garments and that can, will still walk in white and be worthy. And here at this second part, verses five through six, um, I think is just especially important for us to remember as Christians and um, in the church is our goal as Christians is to finish this race, hearing our Father say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Like when we get to those gates as Christians, like that is what we want to hear him say. We want to hear him say our name. And that's like when you stop and pause and think about hearing our Father call us by name, knowing everything about us. He knew, like we see how personal Jesus is in these letters already. But us, 
who he created. He knows us. He hears us. And that's something that we have got to remember as Christians is we ultimately belong to him. We are a daughter of him. We are a son of him. We were created by him. And everything we do should reflect and come back to that. At the center of everything we do, we stop and ask, like, Lord, what would you do? What do you have me do in this moment? What would you say? What would you tell this person? When you're in a situation where you don't know what to tell that person, if you're a daughter and a son of God, he will tell you in exactly what you need to say. In moments like this, like, I am terrified of speaking in front of people like this. Like, this is only by God that I can do this. If you had told me several years ago that I was doing this, I would have just laughed at you. But I remember who I am. When I prep for this, before I walk up on here, I know that God has called me here to do this work, and he's going to give me the words. And I can rem- remember that and be confident in that. So I think that's just something here when he says, Um, that we'll remember our names in the book of life there. Like, that's something I think we hear a lot as Christians, but we just kind of, it's easy to forget, and we don't really take in the significance and the heaviness and the importance of what that is. Um, And so I'm going to talk, walk through here. Now that we've walked through these verses and um, the corrections that Jesus tells them is signs of what a dying church could look like. So Sardis here is being called out that they were once known for the life of Jesus that they had in their church, but they are now dead. We don't ever want to be known for that here at Grace Marietta. Like, we can all agree that we never want to get a message from Jesus saying, you guys are spiritually dead. You have gotten off track. You've been led astray, and you're headed towards that dark, abandoned parking lot right? And we don't ever want to be known for that. And so there, I have four signs of a dying church. Now, there's probably a lot more um, signs and things that could be known for a dying church. But as I was prepping and praying and reading through all of this, these were the four that kind of came to mind that I felt appropriate. So the first is, signs of a dying church is it worships its past with no vision for the future, so it only, you only ever hear them talk about what, what the glory days, right? What it was with no future vision of this is where we want to go. It's important to remember who we are and where we come from and how we got here. But if you only stay there and only talk about those glory days, that's not healthy. You have got to have with that remembering how you got here you continue moving on with the future vision that God has given you. And in our Grace family, we always look back and we talk about Buddy, and we remember what Buddy has done. We remember how Grace Marietta got planted, but they also are like, this is where we're headed, and this is where we're moving. We want to plant churches here. We want to rise up um, like new preachers and disciples. That's why we have the Rooted and Renegade Residency. Say that 10 times, that's tongue twister. But that's why we have the residency, because we want to raise up these young people to become future pastors of future Grace Churches that only God knows where they're going to be. We've just adopted three churches into our family. We went from seven to nine, ten, however. I like, I keep losing track. Ten, ten. We went from seven to ten. But that's a church, a family of churches that has a future vision. Um, The next thing is 
a church that is unmoving and resistant to change. Um, we've, we've probably, yeah, we have probably seen that, and we might know that all too well. Um, again, churches that are stuck in their ways of like, nope, this is how we've done it for 25 years, and we're not going to change. We're going to keep it this way. Like, no, you have got to be open to new and explore new things. Like, we may explore and try things around here, and it may be a complete fail. But that's because we're not afraid of change. Like, we're always trying new things out here to see if it works. And if it doesn't work, then that's fine. Then we move on and we learn. But if it does, it could be change the future of this church and what it looks like. Um, the next thing is, this next thing I could preach on. It would be a whole separate sermon. But it neglects children's and student ministries in the next generation. The next generation is the church of the future. These kids, this is why we do a student takeover Sunday. A bunch of these kids that you saw on stage are leaving tomorrow morning for summer camp, CIY camp, where they're going to get to go and hear about the love of Jesus. That's why we do things like Woodlands Camp. Like I said, I could get going. And I could be biased because, like, this is my domain and I love it. But Woodlands Camp is not that we kids get saved at that camp. And I'm like, I don't care how much money we spend. I don't care if it was just one kid that gets saved, like, this is why we do what we do, because we believe in these kids coming to know the Lord and being saved, because we know when we all get older and die, these kids are what's going to keep this church running and going, and we have got to teach that to them, let them feel it in their hearts, like seeing Claire up here saying that she's going to be the pastor of this church one day, like, come on, Lord, like, speak that into existence, like, let's go. But that is why we, you will hear us talk about next generation here a lot. The Grace family, their motto is neighborhood, nations, and next generation. And I'm like, yeah, that's what it's all about here. And we can't ever lose sight of that. Like, if you ever notice, like, we're accountable for each other here. If you ever noticed us being like, hey, what's, why haven't we seen the students and kids doing stuff? Like, what's going on? Like, we got to remember and call each other out on things when we start noticing, like, we, we don't want to be dead. We don't want to be the church of Sardis that was known for their spiritual deadness. Um, and then lastly, the fourth one is it lacks evangelism and mission. Um, the Grace family is also known for um, their heart for the Muslim world. And God gave Buddy a vision during 9-11 um, to love on the Muslim world. And as a Grace family, we are all part of that. But then each campus has their own heartbeat for what they're passionate about and what their mission in evangelism is. There's a reason that we spent almost half a million dollars on a park out here because we so believe in reaching our community here. We believe in reaching the people that are right around here, our schools, all of our neighbors, we are passionate about bringing the gospel to our community. And this could be a hot take, I don't know. But I don't care if there's one person out there that doesn't step foot into this church. But if we are out there sharing the gospel, building relationships, getting to know people, inviting people over for dinner, we walk out there and they're getting us to know us by name, and we're discipling and bringing people to Christ out there in the park, that is what the church is all about. Like, we, like if we learned anything during COVID, it was that the church doesn't stay in this building. It goes out to that park. 
It goes out to your neighbors. It goes out to your neighborhoods, your schools, wherever you're involved with. It goes there. It doesn't stay in here because it's really hard for some people to walk into this building. And the people that need Jesus the most probably won't walk into this building. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort for people who have been so hurt by the church to walk into this building. So we can come here and we can learn and we can rally up, but we have got to take it out there. We have got to take it to the park, to wherever the Lord is calling you to take it, wherever your mission field is that he has called you to be. And that looks different for each and every one of us. Um, So those are the four signs that we have of a dying church. I wouldn't leave you just there. I'm also going to tell you the signs of a church that is alive and well and healthy. And it is just two things, believe it or not. Um, But Claire prepped us and led us in reading Ezekiel, which is the Valley of Dry Bones where Ezekiel was basically dropped into what I picture a scene of the walking dead. Dead bodies everywhere, right? Like dry bones just here, and the Lord's like, all right, you're going to prophesy over them. You're going to hear, you're going to speak the word of the Lord into them, and God's spirit, and they're going to come to life, right? So he spoke into them. He gave them the word of God into them, but that just wasn't enough. They started to come alive, right? They started to um, take shape and take form, but then God said, breathe my spirit into them, and that's when they fully came alive. So it's simple as this. A church that is alive and living and not spiritually dead has word, God's word, and wind. It has God's Holy Spirit. And if we ever lose sight of God's word and God's Holy Spirit and those things are not leading us, then we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, if you know that faith. <laughs> because we, again, don't want to end up in that abandoned parking lot. Am I right? We want to we get to that. We want to get there. We want to get to the promised land of, that Jesus has called us to. I'm sorry, I'll stop with the buggies probably like too much now. But, um, but yes, these, those are the things that we need to remember. And it is only by what Jesus did for us on the cross that we are able to receive God's spirit and have God's word. Because Jesus died and rose again, we are able to receive God's spirit inside of us and have his living spirit work those same miracles, those same things that God did, right? Or that Jesus did. Um, So we're going to move into a time of communion as we reflect on that and remember that. I'm going to read out of Luke here where it says, um, in Luke chapter 22, verse 18, it says, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So... Most of you got a um, communion cup when you came in. If you did not, we have some on the tables around here. Um, But the band's going to start playing here in just a minute. And we're just going to move into a time of reflecting on what Jesus did for us.
when he died for us, when he brought the disciples together and gathered around them, saying these words, saying, remember me. This was one of the things that Jesus told the church of Sardis. He said, remember the gospel. Take that, keep it in your heart, repent. So in this time, I just want you to think through um, and just remember what Jesus has done for you. The sins that he has forgiven you for in the past, and maybe there's sins that you need to bring out into the light, and you need to just say out loud. We're going to have some prayer team in the back. Um, we have a couple people back there. If you need prayer, and you need just to speak some things out and have some prayer prayed over you, they will be back there. They are happy, ready to pray for you in our foyer area. Um, but just take time to remember that. Um, examine your heart. Like the song that we sang earlier, that our heart is an open space for God to come and do what he needs to do. Maybe there's change that needs to be happening. There's words that need to be spoken over you um, that you just need to acknowledge. So I'm just going to pray, and then um, the worship, the band's going to lead us in a song, and um, we're just going to close out here in the next few minutes. So God, I just thank you. Um, thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can come and gather here freely and hear uh, your word and be reminded of how much you've done for us. I think that, thank you that you died for us on a cross, that we can gather weekly and remember the sacrifice that you made for us so that you could forgive our sins and that we could be in relationship with you again and that our sins could be forgiven um, and that you can come and guide us and lead us as you will. I pray that we will never be a church that is spiritually dead. I pray that you will constantly remind us of the things that keep us alive, the two things of God's word and God's spirit, that that will always guide this church, that only your word, Lord, and only your spirit will guide us in all decision-making and all the things that we do. And if there's ever times that there's signs that we are dying, that you will wake us up, that you will bring people and call us out when we are dying because we never want to be known for that, God. I pray that you will just um, open our ears in this next closing few moments. If there's something that you want to speak to these people, um, a word, whatever it is, God, I just pray that you will just open their eyes and their ears in these next closing moments to speak to our people. Um, in this closing song, remind us that we are a child of that we are no longer slaves and we're no longer enslaved to the fear that once held us down, but we are free in being a daughter and son of you, God, and that we will always keep that close in our heart. We will always remember that. And we ask this all in the name of